today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Sometimes to tell someone that you like them packs more punch than telling someone you love them. Example, we say God loves you. Jesus loves you. I know, God is love. Not God has love, God is love. I know, I know, I know. But what if I said to you, hey, God likes you. He does? He likes me? I know He loves me, but He likes me too? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. Sometimes as Christians, we can get caught up in saying the same things repeatedly. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will remind you to stay genuine in your faith and sincerely mean what you say to other people, to be authentic and creative when telling the Lord's people about His affection towards them. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Everything around me is, well, I don't even need to say it. With everything that's happening in the world today, we talked about it in the Prophecy Update. Are you kidding me right now? I mean, there's no hope. I, ho- I hope, how do I say this? I'm just going to say it. I hope your hope is not in this world and things are getting better. I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to take it on a whole new level here. <laughs> I hope your hope is not in getting your man in office. Ooh. Oh no, you didn't. Oh yes, I did. Man, if we can just get our guy in office, everything will be better. That's my hope. To save America. Ooh, you did it there. Oh, you did it there. Yep, I sure did. Like that. Is that what your hope is in? Can I just very lovingly and honestly tell you that if that's your hope, you are to be pitied. You are to be pitied. My hope is in the Lord. Yeah, I know things are going crazy and getting bad. I mean, with each passing day, it goes from bad to worse. But my hope is in the Lord. Hey, maybe somebody needs to hear that from you. Maybe they're not in the Word, so they're not going to hear it. Maybe they're not even in fellowship at a church, so they're not going to hear it. That presupposes, of course, that the pastor behind the pulpit is preaching the Word, but they're not hearing it. Sometimes God will use you in their lives to remind them of the hope that is theirs in Christ. They need hope. They're losing hope, and they need hope. And we have that hope, and the hope that we have is in the Lord. Number three, is this too basic? I hope it's not. Verse 24, here's another one. How about this one? Love. 
I mean, encouragement, hope, love. It's getting better, isn't it? Now, this is one of those places in God's Word where we need to know a little bit about the cultural dynamics back in that day. And it's actually in the Middle East to this day, modern day. So the writer basically encourages them slash exhorts them to greet one another. And he sends greetings from Italy. But you have to understand that in that culture, in that day, as it is modern day, when you say to somebody, greet them, <laughs> you talk about on a whole new level. You know, we, we say in our day, hey, say hi to them for me. Okay, hi. Hey, so-and-so says hi. Hi. What's that? Wow. What's that? No, not, not then, not here, not with this. To greet someone was, <laughs> this is something about the Middle Eastern culture with my uh, uh, people, my people, <laughs> the Arab people. Uh, man, they know how to greet one another, okay? I mean, you're talking hug and a holy kiss, as Paul says. And not just one kiss, by the way. It's two kisses at the minimum. It's, bear with me, it's hug on one cheek, go over to the other one. And sometimes, that wasn't very good, that second one, but, <laughs> and sometimes it's back, and then back, and then back, and, there, and then back, and you're like, enough already, I got it, you love me. Oh yes I do, I love you deeply, deeply. In the Middle East, you know, when, when you eat together, oh my goodness. I mean, you're one, common union, communion. And so you eat from the same bread and you drink from the same cup, because the thought is that bread that is in you is in me. That cup that we drink from, it's the same cup. We're one. Remember growing up as a kid, I, I was just shocked by my dad and my uncles, and they're all sitting around and one of the customs in the Middle East is that they'll have this huge mound of rice. I hope you're not hungry. I am. But here's this huge mound of rice. And these guys would take their hands and they would stick it into the rice, make a ball, and start eating it. <laughs> and they would stick their hands back in. It's akin to double dipping. No problem. What's your problem? Well, no, the, the germs. No, no, it doesn't matter. The germs that are in you are the germs that are in me. We're one. Doesn't matter. And you have to understand too that in the Middle East, when you break bread with someone, you are loyal till death for life. In the Middle East, if you break bread, here's a flashback back in 1993, September. For those of you who remember, remember September. Uh, on the White House lawn with then President Bill Clinton was Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin signing, agreeing to the now <laughs> infamous Oslo Peace Accords, September 1993. And it was kind of an awkward, you know, shaking of the hand, and, and that was it. It meant nothing. 
especially to the Arabs. You know how they seal a deal in the Middle East? They eat. That's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> it's all around the food. When you sit down at the table and you break bread with another, that's it. That's the bond that is created. And this loving bond, one with another, is this expression of love. And it's a brotherly love. I cannot move on to the last verse without mentioning that this writer of this letter really, really loved them. I mean, really loved them. And sadly, I think we live in a day where we throw that word around and we really make it common and more so much so that the word love, if I say, hey, love you, love you too. Or sometimes we'll even take it further and say, love you more. No, I love you more. And then you go back and forth, love you more. Well, sometimes to tell someone that you like them packs more punch than telling someone you love them. Example, we say, God loves you. Jesus loves you. I know, God is love. Not God has love, God is love. I know, I know, I know. But what if I said to you, hey, God likes you. He does? He likes me? I know He loves me, but He likes me too? Yeah, He likes you. How about with one another? Oh, we, we have to love one another, right? I mean, is that not the summing up of the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I just don't love myself. I can't love my neighbor until I love my... No, you love yourself. That's not the issue. I digress. But how about when we say to somebody and demonstrate to somebody, you know, I not, not only love you, I really like you. You, oh, I like you too then. Isn't it true that when you hear that somebody doesn't like you, well, I'm not too fond of them either. It's just our sin nature. It's our human nature. He wants them to love on each other. And I get the impression that this was a very loving church. You know what's conspicuously absent from this letter is any rebuke like you'll find in the letters to the Corinthian church? I mean, it's full of rebuke. It's, it's painful. Remember going through First and Second Corinthians, for those of you that were here? Oh, I was, <laughs> it was just rebuke after rebuke after rebuke, and you had to catch your breath, and not so here. They were already doing everything right. And all the writer is saying is just keep doing what you're doing and hang in there and be encouraged. I know it's hard. They were already loving one another. And is this not the litmus test by which we are known as being disciples of Jesus? The words from the Savior Himself, it will be by your love one for another that they will know 
that you are my disciples. That's how they're going to know. That's, that's the gauge by which you will be measured as my disciple, is how you treat one another, how you love one another. Love one another. Love deeply, Paul writes to the Ephesians. In fact, getting back to the Corinthians, one last thing on this. It's really hard, but it's what was happening there. You know, when it came to communion, the Lord's Supper, they, they affectionately referred to them as love feasts. It was really some, for some of them, as slaves back then, it was the only meal they got all week. And there was these cliques in that Corinthian church, and they were not allowing some of their brothers and sisters to eat with them, so they went hungry. And meanwhile, these cliques were gorging themselves on the food and getting drunk on the wine at the Lord's feast. And so Paul has to write to them and say to them, you know, have you ever wondered why it is that there's so many people in your church there in Corinth that are getting sick? Did you even connect the dots as to why it is that there's so many people there in your church that are dying? Do you know why? You're not discerning the body of Christ. You're mistreating the body of Christ. And when you do that to the body of Christ, you're doing that to Christ. Verse 9, Isaiah 62. Isaiah writes that in our affliction, He's afflicted. Have you ever thought of that? He's the head, right? We're the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head of the body. So when the body is afflicted, He feels that affliction. So when we mistreat the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are mistreating the Lord. That's what he's talking about. And the antithesis of that, the opposite of that, is loving one another. When we love one another, when we treat one another with love, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are treating Christ that way. And conversely, when we don't, we mistreat the Lord. It's doing it as unto the Lord. Well, I wanted to save enough time for this last one. I mean, <laughs> these last five words here in verse 25, beautifully, magnificently sum up the entire letter in one word. In a word, grace. Grace. Grace is one of those words that by its very nature is undefinable, unfathomable, incomprehensible. And I cannot think of a better way to end a book and with it a sermon than the grace of God. Can you just hang in there with me? I'll do my best by the help of the Holy Spirit when it comes to grace. We uh, throw cliches around again, you know, by the grace of God. Do you know what you're saying? <laughs> by God's grace. How about this one? But by the grace of God go I. It doesn't even begin to even scratch the surface of the surface on the surface of the meaning of the word grace. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. 
Well, let's take it further. If we're saved by grace, aren't we also going to live by grace? How about this? Are we going to show grace? Oh, wait a minute. Can you uh, expound on what it means to show grace? Because I like to be shown grace. Oh, praise the Lord, the grace of God, right? Well, what about when it's on you to show someone grace? Uh, With the grace that's been shown you. I've heard it said this way, and perhaps you've heard it said as well. Err on the side, if you're going to err, err on the side of an abundance of grace. You can never go wrong. And here's the thing, when it comes to grace, God honors it. God blesses it, because that's who God is. That's the heart of God. The grace of God. I mean, we try our best, and I guess it's as good as it's going to get this side of glory, when it comes to grace, defining grace as God giving us what we don't deserve. I'll take it. But again, that doesn't even begin (laughs) to scratch the surface on the surface on the surface of the surface of what that word really means. It's undefinable again by its very nature. I mean, you can look it up in the original language and go into all the commentaries and explanations and definitions of the word, but it all comes down to this. It's the grace of God. It's God's grace. He's being gracious unto you. It's been said that grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. I'll take it. And mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve? I'll take both. Thank you very much. I need both, right? But if you really think about it, they all go together. It's the grace and the mercy of God. Now, if God has saved us by grace and given us this grace, then wouldn't it stand to reason that we want to show that grace to others. I have never regretted erring on the side of grace. I have always regretted not erring on the side of grace. You can never go wrong. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you have a personal situation relationally with someone. Grace, grace. God will honor it. God will bless it, because that's the heart of God. Show them grace. No, but how many times do I have to, and we grit our teeth just like that widow. <laughs> That's not grace. In fact, um, I want to say it's, uh, uh, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say it's Luke about maybe seven, probably not. But anyway, Jesus, it's very misunderstood, in fact misquoted in the context of money, when Jesus says, if you give, it will be given unto you, pressed down, packed together, and running over. And so many a a greedy televangelist 
has used that in the con- If you'll give, there's somebody out there right now that's going to give a thousand dollars and it will come back to you pressed down, shaken together and running over. He wasn't talking about money. <laughs> uh, talking about mercy. What? Yeah. In other words, if you give mercy and show grace to someone, then God takes notice. Look at that. Did you see what he just did? Oh, he's going to take that grace, take that mercy. He's going to pack it in, shake it, get more in there, and then it's running over and give it back to you. When I'm merciful and gracious, God is merciful and gracious to me. And if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, I need God's mercy. I need God's grace. And so do you too. So don't look at me all spiritual like you are. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace. One last thing, and then we'll bring it in for a close. You might be going through a very, very difficult and hard time. And you just need encouragement. (laughs) You need hope. You need someone to love on you. And you really need grace. Especially if the hardship that you're in, you're in because you messed up. You really need grace then. The last thing you need from someone is a rebuke. Best illustration I ever heard of this was between a police officer and a paramedic. You have an accident, right? And someone runs a red light and there's an accident at the intersection and arriving on the scene are the police officers. They are there chiefly to find out who broke the law. Who ran the red light? The paramedics are on the scene chiefly to minister to the injured. I heard it said like this, we have way too many police officers in the body of Christ. I'm I'm certainly not referring to police officers, but you get the point. We have too many people that want to point the finger of blame. It's your fault. Hey, listen, I don't need an officer of the law right now. I need a minister of the grace of God right now. Because I'm in the middle of a situation in my life that is so hard, I don't know how God is going to get me through it. If I get through this thing, if, it should be when, (laughs) but if I make it through this, you will. God will see you through but it will only be by God's grace. Perfect. Is there any other way? It will be the grace of God. The breath that you're going to take, you just did, is by the grace of God. It's all of grace. It's all grace. And grace, the grace of God, is what's going to get you through whatever it is that you're going through. Ah, kind of a bittersweet goodbye to this book, but so be it, Lord, so be it. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Hebrews is rather enlightening as it traces all the history and traditions of the Old Testament, but ties them into the significance of Jesus and the New Testament. Essentially, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament covenants and symbols. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. It would be fascinating to have been a Jew during Jesus' time and to then later realize that Jesus was and is everything he said he would be. To fully understand the newer things, it's important to go back and appreciate the older ways, how it was done prior to Jesus coming to earth. The book of Hebrews is a wealth of knowledge and a resource for this exact thing. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Hebrews, we invite you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. You can find more messages there. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word, looking for nuggets of wisdom and insights that God wants to teach you right in the book of Hebrews. As we look forward to next time, we trust that you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Come back again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.